Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. We've gotten to that point. It's becoming too much to ignore because week after week and day after day, it seems as though our nation and our world are both completely intent on their utter division and destruction. The list of things that, that we don't fight about is getting shorter every single day, and the list of the hurt and the pain that we cause each other seems to be growing exponentially. That's why week after week, we talk about tragedy after tragedy. We've got folks who are fighting about whose lives matter more, while there are other folks who are doing things every single day that scream that life doesn't matter at all. We have nations that are so convinced of their supremacy that their number one goal is to wipe everybody who's not like them right off the map. And so we're building walls and barriers and fences and moats and anything that we can find that's going to separate us from whatever other we happen to disagree with today. And far too many Christians, whether through sheer exhaustion or complete apathy, have decided that at this point, let's just let go and let God. Now that's on a big level. On a micro level, there are times in our personal lives when our inner turmoil becomes so overwhelming that stopping just short of putting our heads in the sand and completely ignoring the situation altogether, we take a step back, somebody says, take a deep breath, and they follow it with, and let go, and let God. Have you ever thought about what you're actually saying when you utter those, those words? They seem really innocent, and they seem so optimistic, but from many different perspectives, they're absolutely ludicrous and wrong. At the root level, if you just talk about the part that says, let God, because that's actually the easier part of the two to talk about, that expression could mean that God is going to do what God is going to do, that God is in control, and, and we should just sit there on the sidelines. All of us just, just sit there on the sidelines as spectators and, and watch as God handles the whole thing. God doesn't need our permission or even our approval to be in charge. He's God. So the idea that we're going to let God do anything implies that, that we've signed off. We're going to be okay with God being in control just, just for this short amount of time. Though, let's be honest, nobody ever asked for our permission or approval. And it also suggests that somehow God hasn't been in control up to this point. That, that now, we're, now, we're gonna, now it's gotten so bad we're going to let God start handling this. Of course, I want to give people who say this expression the benefit of the doubt, and, and it could be that they're just trying to say that we, we need to recognize that God's in control and, and that he needs to lead us and that we should be followers of him. But I don't think that's actually how most people mean it when they say it. We then have to deal with the whole other side of this expression, let go. And this part is a much, much harder part to wrestle with. For starters, what exactly are you letting go of? Normally, when, when you say this, or someone says this, they are abdicating or suggesting to their hearer that they abdicate full responsibility for anything that's going on, and they just step back and they get out of the way and, and let God do all of the heavy lifting. By letting go, we're absolved from actually having to do anything 
which, brothers and sisters, stands in direct contradiction to the Holy Scriptures. Consider just the Great Commission. The Great Commission in Matthew. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always. Go, make, baptize, teach, remember. These are not passive words. None of that suggests that we all get to sit on the sidelines and watch the world go by. These are verbs in motion. Love your neighbor. Feed the hungry. Visit those in prison. Not a single one of these indicates an idea of letting go. You don't, you don't have to do any of these things. Let go and let God is not inspiration. It's an excuse. It's an excuse that, that people of faith have gotten really good at to claim piety and then not actually have to do anything with the faith that they profess. In today's passage, we're going to catch up once again with the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a different church, this time the church in Philippi. And the verses that Neil read this morning are the conclusion to a much lengthier argument that Paul has had in the previous chapter, where he lays out a concern about growing together in unity as the body of Christ among believers. Now, that's important, because often when we teach on this particular passage, we tend to teach it from an individual perspective, that that this only applies to us individually. But actually, in the Greek, Paul was saying, no, here's, I'm talking about how we as the whole church together are going to work out our salvation, how we're going to do this as the body of Christ in a unified spirit. So when we read, therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, enabling you to both the will and work for his good pleasure. We have to understand that, God, that, that Paul is talking about all of us, a unified body together that is the church. And Paul tells the Philippians and then tells us, go work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If we are honest about it, there are times when Christians can be really, really, really good about talking about our salvation. Even a nominal churchgoer has enough of of a churchy, Christianese vocabulary to say, you know what, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus and I sat in the pew for 40 years and I am totally good to go. But that's not what Paul told us to do. What he said was, not talk about your salvation. He said, work through it. Work on it. Talking is such a passive thing. It requires very little effort. And we are quickly learning during these very contentious times that talking doesn't actually require much thought. Or at least people aren't putting much thought into what they say. But Paul says, work it out. Work. That's the definition of doing something. Be active. Be a part of what's going on. If we can only talk about our salvation, but our lives and actions aren't changed by it, then friends, that's something we're going to have to work on. That's something that we will work on collectively at the church. If we are not changed by being followers of Christ, then why in the world would the rest of the world even consider following Christ themselves? It wouldn't make any difference. But if the world saw Christians putting others before themselves, not just talking about it, 
laying aside their own selfishness, not just talking about it, their own desires, their need to be 110% right on every issue every time. If the world saw Christians lay some of these things aside, then maybe, just maybe, they might be open to hearing the good news of the gospel. Over the course of the last few elections, our country has merged politics and faith almost to the point where, where the line is, is so blurred that they are indistinguishable. And in a soundbite society, we listen to words, we take them literally as gospel, and we don't even bother to invest the time to see what those words look like in practice, or even if they're being practiced at all. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm telling you to look. Look at candidates. Don't just assume that only one party has a hold on Christianity. Don't look at what people are saying. Look at what they do. How are they practicing their faith? Because any of us, any of us could talk a really good game. But to practice a life changed by the power of salvation, that takes work. Now, of course, before, before you can practice and work on your salvation, you have to have it. And salvation comes to us solely as the work of God, though we tend to recognize it when we are at our time of greatest need. So if you're in the desert and you're wandering around out there in the heat for miles and miles and miles, you will get dehydrated. If you do not have water, you will die. Salvation comes to us at our greatest need. On one hand, salvation is deeply personal because none of us None of us can account for another person's need to be saved. We don't, we don't have that. That is far above our ability to judge. Nor do any of us live in the hearts of anyone else. So we don't get to make that call. So in one sense, salvation is a deeply personal thing. On the other hand, once we've received our salvation... It becomes a public matter in that we have been set free from certain death. And in being set free from that certain death, we have a mandate to get ourselves out into the world and live our faith and to tell others the good news from which we have found our salvation. To begin to work on our salvation means that we've got to see beyond ourselves, out into the world that God so loves. We need to do that with as little as prejudice as we can possibly come to. But it also means, it also means that we need to see what God is doing in the world. And we need to chase hard after what God is doing. We have to work on how we treat each other, how we love our neighbors, how we love our enemies. It's easy to love people that you like. It's a lot harder to love people that you don't. We also have to work on how we acknowledge injustice and how we're going to speak truth. There is a lifetime of work involved in salvation. It's not just that you get baptized and you're good to go. This is something that's going to take you a lifetime to work out, and you don't get to retire from it. But here's the good news. We don't engage in this work alone. God is working in us, enabling us to both his will and to work for his good pleasure. We cannot work our way into salvation. I want you to be super clear about this. There is nothing that you can do 
to earn your salvation. It is a gift of grace from God alone. But we must work through our salvation. And that work cannot be done without God working in us. Because salvation work is hard work. That's why Paul said, fear and trembling. It's difficult stuff. So if you go back to the whole let go and let God thing, I want you to consider your sin. And every one of us has it. I may not know what yours is. You may not know what mine is, but I know that we all have it. If you could just let go of your sin, you would do that, right? I mean, why, why would you hold on to sin? It, it hurts you and it hurts others. If you have an issue with alcohol and, and it was just as simple as saying, you know what, today I just give up alcohol, I'm totally good to go. You would do that. You would do that, but it's not always that easy. It's rarely that easy. Paul assures us, though, God's at work in us. God's going to help us do this, enabling us to do his good work out in the world. Not that we're going to do it alone, but that God is going to do it with us. Which means that instead of saying, let go and let God, we would be better served by saying, let's go and trust God, that God's got this. This will mean, of course, though, that we have to have a clear understanding, a clear understanding of what it means to let go. So, for example, we need to let go of the assumption that we have been excused from being active participants in God's work in the kingdom. Ministry, I think sometimes churches think, is just the calling of the pastor. We pay the pastor to believe for us. We pay the pastor to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, there's no scriptural evidence for that whatsoever. What the scripture says is, if you have experienced the power of salvation, you've got to get yourself out into the world and work on that and keep working on it. So no, it's not just up to a chosen few to speak out against injustice. And no, it's not just up to a couple or a handful there to go out into the world and share the good news. And no, it's not up to a select minority to financially support God's work in the church. And no, it's not just up to the willing to help out when they feel like it and it's convenient. We've got to let that assumption go. Because if you can hear my voice and you are somebody who has experienced salvation, then you've got work that you need to be doing and we're all going to be doing it together. That's an area of our congregation where I am starting to see those seeds of growth. It's a really exciting time for us because what we're seeing is we're starting to see more and more people take on responsibility for our collective ministry. We're starting to see people from all parts of the spectrum of our congregation seriously take on tithing and financial giving. We're starting to see more and more volunteers for a wider variety of ministry across the life of the church, especially, especially in places where they get no personal gain out of it. That's, that is a mark of maturity. When you are doing something that has no personal gain or value, Everybody that went and worked on Brian and Laura's house, a house that they're not going to live in, they're working it out. They're working out their salvation. All of those who sign up for the camps that we do, and they don't have kids or grandkids of their own, but they come and they do it. Now that said, 
I am convicted in watching the news and seeing what's going on in our world that there is a growing edge for us as a congregation to be working on. And I want you to hang with me on this because it's a hard thing to talk about. One of the challenges that, that we as the church need to face head on is what it's going to be look, what it's going to look like for us to grow in unity as a church that comes from many, many different backgrounds. Recently, there's been several major gatherings of, of a lot of the mainline denominations. And when these groups get together, one of their favorite things to do is to make all kinds of pronouncements about how the church should be. Because it's easier to talk about how the church should be than actually to go out there and do it. And one that hit me hard in the life of this congregation is a push that the church has made for multi-ethnic congregations. So much so that over the course of the last three general assemblies, all they've talked about is how we have to intentionally become multi-ethnic congregations. And we've got a program for this and a book about this, and this is how you do it, and this is how you force people into that situation. Well, folks, I got to tell you, you can't force that. There is no law, there is no pronouncement that is going to force people together and force people to get along. You can't orchestrate it or, or come up with a way to create a false sense of community. This is where the church can do some work. This is where we, as the church, are doing some work. Because if we are working out our salvation, if we are letting go, if we are in the word and translating that word into our daily living, then we can trust God that he's going to bring about his church the exact way that he wants to see it go. We have done nothing, nothing in the last five years to become a multi-ethnic church on purpose. Nothing except that we preach the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And the reason that we do that is because I believe Pastor Reed believes, Pastor Sung believes that the gospel is colorblind. That the gospel is for everybody. It doesn't need a special invitation. The gospel is for all of us. And so what's happened then over the last five years is that slowly, very slowly, we have become a more multi-ethnic congregation. Not because we forced it, but because we let people come and receive the gospel together with a common purpose of Jesus Christ. Working out our salvation is about taking the next step then and bringing that unity out into communities. So that means that we collectively as a church have got to let go of our prejudices and our preconceived notions, and let's be honest. Let's be honest. That's not easy to do. It is not an easy thing to do, which is why we have to trust that God's going to work with us in this and that God's going to enable us to have the strength to do things that we simply cannot or, quite honestly, will not do on our own. If we say let go and trust God, then one of the things that we have to let go of are our butts. And you know what the butts are. I would love to help so-and-so, but I'd love my neighbor, but... If God tells his people to go, which is exactly what happens again and again and again and again in Scripture, then we have to let go of all of those excuses and trust God that he's going to do something good with our willing work. I think as our country makes this 
this dramatic return to extreme racial division, we have to seriously, as people of faith, seriously consider those buts. And that's, that's hard. It is hard to admit that we've got to consider the buts. But I see that. I see that sometimes within our larger Bradenton community. It sounds like this. You know, I would go serve at our daily bread, but, you know, it's, it's not really safe. It's not safe over there by McKechnie Field. I, I would go volunteer at, at Rogers Garden Elementary, but it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And where we especially, especially have to be acutely aware of our butts, adults, hear me clearly on this, is how we raise the next generation. Opportunity to go with our middle school students And we happened to be passing by the middle school where three of the students, including my own daughter, attend. And one of the other students pointed out that their school was in the hood. And I think that maybe she thought I didn't understand what the hood was. And she said, you know, Pastor Hope, their school is, it's it's in the hood. And of course, I know what the hood is. My parents explained to me about the hood when I was a teenager. You didn't cross a state road in our county because then you'd be in the hood. And we all know what the hood is, right? The hood is wherever those other people are, whatever those other people look like. But then I got to tell you something. I've been driving through that hood every single school day for the last year. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happens in the hood, and you're going to be shocked. You're, if you drive through the hood, what you're going to discover is that people in the hood, they walk their dogs. And they wait for the school bus. And they talk to their neighbors. And they laugh. And they watch out for the elderly. And they pay just as much or just as little attention as those of us who don't live in the hood do to the bicyclists that are going by. And here's a crazy thing. Here's a crazy thing that nobody ever wants to admit about the hood. There's churches in the hood. There's churches. There are people who believe in Jesus in the hood. And we've got to be honest about that. So if we're going to let go and let God, then we've got to be really serious about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And maybe one of those fears that has to be worked out is our understanding that God cares just as much about one hood as he does about the hood that you live in. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just let go and let God? That way it wouldn't be our problem and we wouldn't have to care And we could come to church every Sunday and we could feel super good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back if we could just let go and let God. But if we are serious about our salvation, if we are serious about following Christ and studying his word, imprinting that word on our hearts, then we've got work to do. It is hard work. And that hard work comes with fear and trembling. But the good news is this. We don't have to let God do it. He's already on top of it. We just have to trust him that his way is always going to be the best way, and we just got to get out there and do it. Let's pray together. (laughs) 
Lord God, help us to be a congregation that doesn't just talk about our salvation. Help us to be a congregation that goes out into the world, maybe with fear and trembling, but does the hard things and has those hard conversations and goes to those places that make us nervous. Because if we're really serious, if we're really serious about the gospel, if we're really serious about healing our community and our world, then we've got to get out there. We've got to work on it and just not let it go. It's time, Lord Jesus. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen.